I love how God continues to sometimes reveal uh, his purposes one step at a time. You know, so often we as Christians, we want to know the whole plan, right? You know, right, Luke? You want to know the whole plan, right? What's the future hold, right? And, and God just does not reveal that to us because he knows we can't handle it, first of all, right? I mean, it's, it's going to mess. We're going to get messed up if we do that. But uh, he continues to do this reality of continuing to reveal to us as we step into it, right? And he's, he's doing that with this Genesis series, right? Uh, as I was thinking last fall about what I wanted to preach this year, and he brought Genesis to mind, I thought, oh, yeah, that'll be really good and kind of fits into my thematic, you know, kind of perspective of what I wanted to preach on this year and this kind of stuff. So I thought, yeah, this is, this is really good. Uh, and so I step into that, and then we're, you know, we're already, this is our seventh message in Genesis, and you're going, already? It's May, bro. What have you been doing? And I, I know, and we had some other things to start with at the beginning here. Anyway, but uh, so I was amazed over the last couple weeks, as we heard an amazing sermon by Xavier, right? Oh my gosh, so good. Uh, and then last week, uh, just a great interaction with uh, Good News Rescue Mission, as Justin came and shared with us. So good. Uh, but anyway, as the last couple weeks, as I continued to reflect on Genesis, God brought up just kind of another aspect of why he has me preaching Genesis this year. And it, and it starts with this reality that we find ourselves in right now in our culture. Uh, Christianity, the church is under attack in America like it never has been maybe before in its history, at least in America. And, and we're seeing uh, the, the, the number of people that are continuing to now attack the church more and more, seeking to demonize the church, seek, seeking to discredit the church, and seeking to silence the church. They don't even want to hear from us. They don't want to, us to talk about Jesus. They don't want us to say what we believe. They want us silent. They want us afraid. They want us cowering. And there's some in the church facing that pressure have been unwilling to stand next to Jesus. Unwilling to accept that God is who he says he is. And they've, they've either done one of two things. They've either, one, stepped out of the church, totally capitulated to the culture and said, you're right, this Christian God is really messed up and mean and filled with hate. I don't want anything to do with it. Or even more devastating, I think, is those who have instead of stepping out of the church, have stayed in the church and then began to create a God after their own image. And so we as a church are facing not only attacks from outside of the church, but inside the church. We don't even know who we can trust. We're, we're interacting with other Christians and we're not sure if they have the same perspective of God as we do. And so there's others in the church they're willing to stand by Jesus, but they're unable to stand. They're not sure if what they're standing on can handle it. They're not sure if what they believe is true. And the reason for this is most of us, are, if, we, if we really thought about it, we would admit that our faith is really not based on our own interactions with God, our own study of his word, but it's based on 
someone else's perception. Our faith is so often second-hand faith. I believe because, well, my pastor believes. And this is what he said, and I trust him, and so it's true. I think. Until we get attacked. Until our church, people in the church even start to attack us. And I'm like, wait a second, maybe my pastor's wrong. Or I believe because this is what I was brought up on. My parents taught me this. This is the church that I, you know, these are the things I believed when I was growing up. But have we studied it? Have we, have we personally come to understand who God is? In our personal interactions with God, but also in our interactions with his word. Have we found God in his word? Have we determined that it's true, not because someone else says it's true, but because I know God and God has said it's true. However, it's amazing. I'm not a huge Christian historian. I do like history, but I, I confess I don't know Christian history that well. But it's amazing when we just take a moment to even think about this. That we are not just standing on God's word, we are, but we're also are standing on the words and the shoulders of others who have worked and come to understand this. See, it's you know, a secondhand faith we can't have, but we can learn from others. We can glean from them and then go to the word ourselves and say, oh my gosh, he's right. We can say, Moses, he had this really crazy perspective about God, but oh my gosh, he's right. Think about what Moses put up with and why did he put up with it? Why did he step out in faith? Why did he approach Pharaoh? Because he believed that what he knew about God was true. Joshua, why would he stand, why would he tell his forces to march around Jericho seven times? This makes no sense. Why would you do that? Because he believed on his own, not somebody else's faith, but his own faith, grounded in the truth of who God is. He believed that to be true. Why did Elijah stand on Mount Carmel? And face 500 prophets from Baal. And have the audacity to call fire down from heaven. Because his faith was in the one true God. He believed it to be true. Why did David go against Saul? Why did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego go against King Nebuchadnezzar? Why did Peter and Paul, why were they willing to die for what they believed? If it wasn't true, right? Would you die for a lie? If you knew it was a lie, would you die? No. But if you know it's true, it gives you the courage you need to stand. And it doesn't matter what the opposition And this is the reality that I think God has brought to me this last couple weeks, that the importance of Genesis and the reason for us to go through it is that for you individually, 
to come to understand that God is true. Not because Pastor Sean says so, but because God says so, and you trust God because he's revealed himself to you here, but also because he's revealed himself to you here. So I implore you, as we go through Genesis, do not just take my word for it. There is so much here about who God is in Genesis. The foundations, this is where we root our faith. If we don't have this right, we are going to miss everything else. And we won't stand because we won't believe it. But if we can come to understand Genesis, if we will choose to spend some time this year in Genesis, not just listening on Sundays, but during the week, let's crack it open. Let's understand it. Let's grab other resources, commentaries, whatever. I gave you a, a, a huge systematic theology, you know, four volume set, right? Huge, like, ah, but it's so readable. I gave that to you because it's readable. We can understand these things to some extent if we just spend the time and effort. power of truth when we know it will stand but the problem is can we stand how do we know first of all what truth is right how, how do we know what truth is we know what is true maybe but how do we know what truth is? And this is a battle that has been fought in our country for 50, 60 years now at least of destroying the concept of truth. And so I want to spend some time this morning outlining these things because they will be familiar to you. And maybe you fall into these traps of what truth is. That the world is trying to sell us. And if you have, I hope this wakes you up and go, wait a second. No, no, no. That, I can't think that way because that's not true. So here, first of all, relative, right? Truth is relative. This is what our world tells us. Okay? It's relative. It, it, it just depends on the eye of the beholder, right? It depends on how you perceive it, right? You know? And I love the illustration of the elephant. elephant. Maybe you've heard of this illustration before, right? Uh, a bunch of blind guys encounter an elephant for the first time in their life. Never seen an elephant before. They're all blind and they come to an elephant. One of them, you know, he goes up and he touches the side of the elephant. Oh my gosh, the ele an elephant is just like a wall. Another guy goes, no, 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 you're crazy. It's not like a wall because he's hanging onto the leg. And he's like, the elephant is just like a massive tree. And another guy goes, no, no, you're crazy. I don't know what you're talking about. It's not a wall. It's not a tree. No, no, no. it's like a sword because it's like this hard, bony kind of tusk that he's hanging onto, right? And so we, we, the idea that this is used is, see, you know, we all just have pieces of truth. And so, you know, it just kind of depends on your perspective. And you're hanging onto the leg. Yeah, it's a tree. That's great. Or you're hanging on to the wall, you know, the, or on the side. That's, that's a wall. It's okay. You got the husk. It's, you know, and so this is the perspective of truth. But it's wrong. Another perspective that is given to us by our culture is that it can be contradictory. So you can have two views about the same thing, and they're opposite of views, and they both can be true. Okay, this... We, we do this all the time, and the illustration on this is, uh, maybe you've seen it, it's a meme they put on, online of a, 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 a six, okay? So there's a six drawn, you know, on the ground or whatever, and there's one guy sitting, standing on the bottom side of the six, and they go, oh, it's a six, it's great. 
And then they show another person standing on the other side of the six. And of course, to them, it looks like a nine. So, oh, no, it's a nine. So now it's both true. They're both true, right? It's a six and it's a nine. It's amazing. It worked out, right? We got to figure it out. But, but again, this is, this, is, this is a fallacy. This isn't true. This is not what truth is. Truth is. We'll get to what it is later. Okay, we're going to keep on going. Okay, worldly. So uh, worldly perspective also says that it's belief-based. So it's based on what I believe. You know, if I really believe it's true, then it's true. Yes, right? You know, if I really believe in unicorns, I love unicorns. So amazing, right? Here they are. Yes, they're there. They're real, right? If I really believe in dragons, or if I really believe that I can fly, you know, I can fly, right? This idea that belief is how we determine what truth is and that truth is kind of personal. Another way that the world looks at truth is that it's facts-based. It's based on the facts. Only provable things are true. So only the things that you can actually prove are true. So that means things like, you know, God, we can't. You can't prove that God exists, so that's not true. Even things like love. I mean, I mean, how do you, can you prove love? What is love, right? How do you, so that, you know, so that, so it's only facts-based. Truth equals proof. The other one is, uh, it's a majority-based perspective of truth. So whoever the majority believes, right? You know, as a democratic, you know, you know, world, right? Our, you know, we're in a democracy, kind of, right? You know, we won't get in technical terms on that yet. But anyway, uh, <laughs> so, you know, whatever the majority decides, that's true, right? And so, you know, we see that, you know, in this perspective of truth, that truth is about consensus. So we just try to build a consensus, try to get everybody to believe what we believe. Oh, there it is. See, it's true. I told you it's true. Everybody believes it now. Or we try to convince that everybody believes it. Well, we've got all of these, you know, all these doctors that say this is true. And so, see, there's a consensus of doctors that say this is true, so thus it must be true. Not saying that the doctors are wrong. I'm just saying that that's the push is the majority. It's not about what's true. It's about the majority. The other one, and this is a new one, uh, just in the last, maybe just in the last year. I've probably been around longer than that, but it's really come to the forefront this last year. And that is that truth is based on victimhood. That the oppressed ones are the only ones who can understand and know truth. This is the critical race theory that's been kind of thrust into the forefront over the last year, especially. And if you don't know anything about that, I encourage you. Spend some time researching what that is and what it's about. So it's victim-based. So truth is about, you know, you know kind of whoever's been abused the most, whoever's been oppressed the most, they're the ones that determine what is true. And so if you are an oppressor, then you can't say anything about truth. You don't know truth. You can't, there's no way you can know truth. Ultimately, all of these perspectives or ways of looking at the truth are totally unlivable. And the reason they're unlivable is because none of them are based in reality. When we understand that the definition of truth is simply what is real, what actually happened, what really happened, right? Then we understand that, and then you begin to put all of these other things in. Oh, truth is relative. Wait, what's real? Is reality relative? Uh, that it can be contradictory. Wait a second. 
something has to be real. You can't just have everything just kind of out there. Uh, Belief-based, just a matter of, none of this stuff deals with what is real. And because it doesn't deal with what real, it can never lead to truth. And because it doesn't deal with truth, it can't be livable. We are forced, if we're going to have these perspectives of truth, to live contradictory to our beliefs. I believe I can fly, but I'm not jumping off the roof. Why? Well, I just believe it. I mean, I don't want to get, I mean, I might get hurt if I do. You know, I mean, I just believe it, right? You know, I believe, you know, you can, your, whatever truth is for you, that's fine. But how am I going to live? I'm living as if my truth is really the truth. And you're kind of kooky. I can't believe you believe that. That is really weird. She's married to Scott, so that's, you know. <laughs> got some weird things going on, Scott, and world. It's, it's good man, good man. Yes, you sat up front. I know. I, I was thinking that right when I was I almost turned around and said, hope you're ready, Scott, before I came up here. Because I was like, sat up front today. That's a mistake. All right. And so here's the deal, too, is that uh, these forms of truth cannot stand up to scrutiny. So when someone has a a, a different opinion or someone tries to argue with them, they can't deal, they can't win the argument. And so they have to silence others. They have to silence the other forms and perspectives of truth. Anybody that disagrees with them, they have to try to squelch them and quiet, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm just going to ignore, and this is why we have safe zones, right? Because I don't want to hear things that are going to disrupt my perspective of what is true. But, open your Bibles. We're going to get deep into the Bible, way back to Genesis 1. (laughs) Genesis 1, 1. We'll get to 31 in a minute, but Genesis 1, 1. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. In the beginning... God. Can we just stop there again and remind ourselves the importance of Genesis 1-1? In the beginning, God. If you do not accept those four words as being true, then you will never understand what truth really is. In the beginning, God, he started it all. Do you think that maybe he would have a perspective of what is real? Right? In the beginning, God. See, truth is God-centered, not man-centered. And the worldly's perspectives of truth are all focused on me. And if it's focused on me, it can't be true. Foundationally, it cannot be true. I may have some understanding of what is real, but if I'm looking at it from my perspective or that it has some, you know, comes out of me in some way, then it's not true. It's just like love, right? We, 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 we think that love, you know, all people can love. Well, all people have the capability of loving. But if we don't know God, the one who is love, then there is no way we can actually, really, truthfully love someone else. 
because he is the source. And it's our understanding that he's the source that allows us then to love someone else because love is unselfish. It's God-centered, not man-centered. And truth is the same way. If we don't understand that God is truth, then there's no way we can understand what truly is true. Reality is skewed. His perspective is messed up. Without, tr- without God, the truth that we may know is totally corrupted. Now, 131. God is true, is he? Let's look at Genesis 1, verse 31. After God has done all this amazing creating, this verse, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. God knows what is real. He knows What is true? He could determine what is true because he's the one who created it. He knows that it was created the way that he meant it to be created. It is real. It is what he wanted. It's the way it's supposed to be. God is truth. He is the source of of all truth, all truth is found in him. Psalm 119, 160. No one, he knows all truth and he speaks all truth. It's amazing. God cannot lie. Hebrews 6, 18, right? God cannot lie. It's outside of his character and nature. He can't do it. If God were to lie, and some people see God this way, like God's like setting them up, like he's a deceiver. Oh, come on, let's go play this game. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> oh, you never saw that one coming, right? You know, this is not God. He cannot lie. He's never going to deceive us. He's always going to tell us the truth. Do these pants make my bum look real big? He's going to tell you the truth. (laughs) See, you know, this is why husbands were great. You know, we love truth too, right? Yes, honey, it looks great. (laughs) God is always going to tell us the truth. He's not going to lie to us because he cannot lie. Did I get in trouble there? I probably did. (laughs) Sorry. (sighs) It happens. It's it's true. (laughs) All right. Truth. So from a biblical perspective, when we understand that truth is God, then we begin to say, okay, let's see some of the attributes of God that then also apply to truth. Truth is absolute. It, it aligns with reality. It, truth is not dependent on me. It's not dependent on evidence. It's not dependent on whether we believe it or not. It's not dependent on anybody other than God, other than what is real. We can't influence, manipulate, or change truth. Truth is absolute. Truth is also transcendent. (laughs) What this means is that only God 
knows truth perfectly. We have to recognize as human beings that it is impossible for us to fully know truth. We can know some true things. And praise the Lord we can because we can come to understand who God is and that he is truth. But we are never going to know all truth. Remember, we're finite. He's infinite. He knows all truth. He sees it all perfectly. He knows what is real in every situation. We are not. We're finite. We can't understand all that. So we're going to make some mistakes sometimes in the truth that we believe or in the truth that we promote. But God is in every moment and in every space. He always knows what is true and what's real. And so this is why our dependence on him is so important. If we want to know truth, we need to know him. Because through his spirit, he can reveal these truths to us. Truth is also singular There is only one truth in any scenario. It cannot have multiple or opposing truths. You you can't have that. Can't be a bunch of different, you know, oh, well, you got, well, you're, you know, think about the elephant, right? Well, you you got the trunk, so that's true kind of for you. No, no, it's, it's an elephant. It's not a tree. It's not a wall. It's not a spear. It's not a rope. It's not a fan. It's an elephant. Truth is singular. If there are different perceptions about the truth, only one is true or neither is true. Also, truth is eternal. If it was true, it will always be true. Evidence, opinions, knowledge, they all change, but truth does not. Finally, truth is discovered. We discover truth. We must seek truth to find it. It isn't just going to come to us. If we want to know what is true about God, about ourselves, about our world, about any situation, then we need to seek it. We need to seek truth, not just let it just happen. We have to actually pursue it. Truth is revealed to those who search for it. Why? Because the one who is true is the one who then reveals truth to us. And so how do we pursue truth? Four points, and then we'll go into communion. First of all, we have to worship the one who is true. John 4, 24, right? God is spirit, and he needs to be worshiped in spirit and in truth. We need to worship the one who is true. Again, going back to Genesis 1, 1, if you don't accept in the beginning God, then you cannot fully understand and know truth. If we want to know truth, if we want to be sure of what we know, we want to have confidence in the truth that we can stand on, then we need to worship the one who is true. And we need to do it not in our, uh, we, not, we need to not worship a God of our imagination. We need to not worship a God of our making. We need to worship the one true, real God. 
as he is, not how we wish he would be. When we come to worship, we seek to worship him, not our preferences, not the things that we wish he was like. We come to worship the one who is. Recognizing that certainly we can know some things, but again, we're finite. We will never understand everything, and there's mystery in God. But that's okay. We embrace the mystery because that is the one who is true. But also we need to come and worship in truth honestly, authentically, with our real self. So many of us come to church on Sunday putting on a mask, especially this year, right? Sunday after Sunday, we're trying to hide who we really are from others, certainly in the church, but more importantly, too many of us are trying to hide who we really are to God. We don't want him to come in and search and know us and to reveal the wicked ways in us. We want to know. We just want to come in and kind of do our thing and then get out before we get struck down by lightning. Right, honey? Yes, amen. I'm talking about me. That's me every Sunday. I'm like, oh, sorry, God. I didn't mean to say that one. Uh, Anyway, but we need to worship God authentically, right? Like allow him, be vulnerable before him. Be vulnerable before his body, his church. This is where the joy lies. This is where truth lies. Stop. Stop. Yeah. (laughs) We need to strive to know and discover what truth is. So once we understand and we're worshiping the true God, out of that means that we're going to know and want to know, to live, and to speak truth. And so first we strive to know and discover what is true. John 8, 31 to 32. Jesus says, hey, you know, if you want to know what truth is, come check me out. Right? I'm truth. I can tell you what that is. Spend time studying God. Oh, my. How much time are we on our phones, on Facebook? How many books are we reading that aren't about God? How many, how many TV shows or YouTube stuff? Are we? we are in an important time in our history as, uh, as the church in America. Uh, are you afraid? Are, are you like hesitant? Are you like, I don't know what to do? Why are we, why are we, why do we so often just flounder? Help me God, help me God, help me God. When he's like, um, pick up my word maybe and I don't know, maybe read a couple chapters. I'm right here. Do you want to know me? Or do you just want to flounder around in your chaos? We need to strive to know. And, and, and just a word about, you know, the truth of this world. Can we, can we just slow down? in our rush to judgment. Our world right now is just like, every time you see something on TV, a video of some, again, police shootings, all these kind of things, and oh my gosh, all life lost is horrible, and I don't want to see any of that, and it is a sad thing. But can we just slow down and say, well, well let's find out what's true here. Can we research? Can we, can we try to figure it out instead of just like quickly judge? Oh, that, definitely that guy's wrong. That, no, no, no. Truth is for those who are going to seek it, to get to know it, to study it, to find it out. Next, we need to seek to live according to that truth. We're talking about consistency here. Again, if God is real and true, then if we're going to follow him, that means we can live it out. It's going to fit in the world that he's created. 
It's going gonna, it's gonna to make sense. You can live consistently with it. You don't have to like, okay, yeah, I really like God. He's amazing, and he's got all these other things. And then over here, like, okay, now i got to get to work. Uh, kind of, that's great. That was Sunday morning, but now this is Monday, so I've got lots of work to do, and God has nothing to do with this because he's just, you know, he's just over there in that spiritual realm. I'm over here in this real physical realm. And so I've got, no, this is not God. God has given us a life to live, and it's consistent with all of life. The spiritual life and the physical life, they come together in God. And so we need to seek to live in that consistency. Ask God to reveal the areas of our life that are not submitted to his truth. What are the things, how am I living that goes against what I say I believe? We are so comfortable with doing that in our world. Our culture says, hey, it's okay. You can believe one thing and live totally different and it's okay. No. As Christians, we cannot do that. If we really believe that Jesus is real, if we really believe that Jesus forgives, then why are we not repenting? If we believe that it's about Jesus and his good works, then why are we freaking about our our inability to do good works? Right? I mean, what do we believe? Are we living according to that? So we need that consistency. We're seeking to live according to truth. And then finally, we need to stand on the truth and defend the truth. Ephesians 4.25, 1 Peter 3.15, both talk about this reality that we need to be ready to proclaim the truth. But it is not a weapon. See, this is also something that's happening in the church for those who have not been unwilling to defend, for those who have not been unable to bend to defend those, there's others here that are out there defending, but they're using the truth as a weapon to destroy their opposition. The truth is not a weapon. We hold the truth right along with love. We've got to love each other. We've got to love those people that disagree with us. We've got to love those people that have been deceived by the father of lies. And recognize that they're deceived. That doesn't mean they're weak, but for the grace of God, go us as well, right? It just means they've been deceived. And so when we share the truth, we must always share it with love and compassion. Recognizing the power of those words, the power of truth to impact, to hurt, but also to heal. All right, worship team, why don't you come up as we uh, transition to communion. Just wanted to say at the outset uh, of communion here that uh, we're an alliance church, which means that we practice what's called open communion. And that means (laughs) that you do not have to be a member of this church or any alliance church in order to participate with us this morning in communion. We believe that this is a, a, a meal for the family of God, and that the alliance is not the only family of God. And so if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then we invite you to join us in this meal this, this morning and to participate. Again, if you've got your communion elements here and, uh, and get prepared with the, the little wafer on the top, and uh, I, the passage that I picked this morning for uh, to lead us into communion or to, to go through communion with this morning is in, in John chapter 14. And it's, of course, in reference, of course, to this message we just preached. I just preached about God being truth as well. So let me read a, a, a few verses here. 
and then we'll go to prayer, and then after prayer, we'll take the wafer, and then I'll read a few more verses, go to prayer, and then we'll take the cup. All right, so John 14, verse 15 to 17. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that Jesus knew that not only was it your will for him to go to the cross, but that he needed to go to the cross so that the Spirit could then come. He knew that the Spirit, the power that came from the Spirit, the very same Spirit that he relied on for the 33 years that he lived on here, that we needed that Spirit too. And the only way he could come was if Jesus were to ascend to the Father. So, Lord, thank you that Jesus was willing to die, to have his body broken for us, not just to pay for our sins, to pay the penalty of that sin, to be able to open up the doorway for us to be reconciled to the Father, but so that we could also receive the spirit of truth so that we are not alone, so that we can continue to seek truth and it will be revealed to us because we have your spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take it together. Moving on in chapter 14 of John, verse 18 to 21. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you as well that by the example of Jesus, the life that he lived and the life that he gave, that we too can follow in his footsteps, that we too are called to follow your will, to be obedient to your commandments. And because we have the spirit of truth that helps us to know what those commandments are and how to step out each day, we can do that. And so because of what Jesus has done for us, we stand here, we sit here again today to proclaim our commitment to follow Jesus, the life that he lived and the life that he gave, that we each would seek to live out your commandments each day, to give our life as a sacrifice in worship of you, and that then we would again get the privilege of being blessed by your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take it together. All right. Church, will you stand with me and sing another song, and then I'll come up with a closing passage.
Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you so much for your amazing goodness to us, Lord, that you love us, that you created us, and we thank you that you are true. Lord, I pray that you would help each and every one of us in here to be convinced of that reality. Not because we heard a pastor preach a message on it, but because we know it ourselves. Because you are not a God who is just out there. You are a God who's in here. Reveal yourself to us, Lord. Give us an understanding of truth. Lord, if we're, if we're being lazy, I pray that you would challenge us. <laughs> You'd break us out of that laziness and that we would begin to study and come to know you. If, if, we, if we're living inconsistently, Lord, if, if we believe things but we're not living it out, Lord, reveal those things to us. Or if we want to be consistent, we need to be consistent. Help us to be consistent. And Lord, help us to stand for the truth. May we be truth tellers just like you. Second Timothy chapter four, verses one to five. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless.